New Year's is a time for reflection, optimism, and new beginnings. A lot of folks have been looking forward to the start of 2021 and the chance to say goodbye to 2020. For a lot of us, it was one of the hardest years of our life. Many folks faced isolation, financial uncertainty, devastation in their businesses, or even contracted COVID-19. In watching the many stories of 2020 unfold, I witnessed one of my best friends face what might have been the hardest year I saw anyone face. Today we'll hear about his story. As a bit of background, my friend Jason Power is from Logie Bay and has worked coast to coast across our country in his career in sales leadership. He's currently living in Calgary. He has an amazing wife, Brittany, and a happy little two-year-old named Fisher. He's been athletic his entire life and was actually my workout partner in university. So we go way back and he knows a thing or two about wellness. His ability to choose to have a positive outlook facing insurmountable challenges in 2020 is why I asked him to join me today. His story has reminded me that we all have to shift our perspective sometimes, and there's no better time than the first episode of our new year. Let's check out my conversation with Jason. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. People have had weird 2020s, and it's been, to <laughs> yeah. say the least, your year has been different than everybody else's I've known. Um, yeah. Can you tell me about what happened to you in March of this year when the pandemic first hit in? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I've been a, a, a relatively healthy individual my entire life, so like most men who are healthy, you tend to ignore small symptoms and stuff until they get, you know, a little bit more severe. So leading up until March of 2020, I started um, experiencing increasing uh, severity of migraines. And um, I probably had my first migraine maybe three years ago. Um, so they became a regular part of my life. Uh, I'd have some headaches and stuff. Um, but I uh, would chalk them up to different things. So um, I went to a, you know, a small a doctor's clinic in Kamloops at one point, said, hey, I have these headaches sometimes. And you know, he said, tell me what else? And I said, well, you know, I can't, I, I can't shake my head uh, in, in the shower because I'll fall over because I kind of lose, you know, or, or vertigo kind of hits me. And, uh, and he said, oh, well, you know, yeah, if you've had some concussions, you might, you know, you might be a little bit more sensitive to that stuff. So don't worry about it. Then I moved to Calgary and Calgary, I'm like, my, my, my headaches start getting a little bit more frequent and uh, go to the doctor and the doctor says, you might have allergies. Um, next visit might be the altitude. Next visit might be the dryness, you know, next visit. Yeah, it sounds like you've got chronic sinus infections. Um, so went through it all, but to be fair, I didn't have a family doctor in Calgary for a while. When I finally got to a family doctor who was both my son's family doctor and my wife's family doctor, um, she started saying, okay, like, let's start looking at what some of the things in your environment are. So we started an elimination diet. Um, then we didn't hear from her for a little bit. So I was working on the elimination diet, um, leading up to... Christmas and the winter of 2020. Turns out that doctor <laughs> was suffering pretty severely from COVID-19 herself. Mm. So she was removed and uh, cases that she was been working on or patients she'd been working on um, didn't get put aside, but it meant that the rest of the clinic was trying to pick up the pace. So 
for someone who's got headaches versus someone who comes in with something that's a little bit more immediate, I'm sure it was put to back burner. So fast forward to March, my organization, my employer decides that we're going to shut down the offices on uh, March. It was either the 18th or the 20th, however it worked in the week. Mm-hmm. And the first day off working from home um, was okay. The second day I couldn't get out of bed. Um, Brittany came in and said, Jason, like, this is enough. We got to get you to the doctor. And when she sat me up in the bed, I started projectile vomiting. And um, by the time, and we live about six minutes away from the newest hospital in Alberta and uh, South Health Campus here in Calgary. And by the time she got me to the hospital, um, I couldn't think, talk, do anything at all. The hospital had just gone into lockdown. Brittany's got a two-year-old on her arm. She's walking me to the emergency door because I can't even get from the car to the, to the emergency entrance of the hospital on my own. Um, still thrown up. Uh, you know, can't eat anything at all. She drops me to the front door and they go, you can't come in here, Mrs. Power. And uh, she's like, well, he's, he can't even talk. He's in a lot of pain. He's vomiting from the pain. You need to do something for him. Um, six and a half hours later, I wake up uh, on a gurney uh, in South Health Campus and they say, Mr. Power, you're very sick. You're, um, you have a brain tumor that we've been able to see through a CAT scan. We need to get you to another hospital for a better MRI. Um, and we're likely going to get you into surgery as soon as possible. And uh, just about the only thing that I could mouth was what's as soon as possible. And I was probably asking it because uh, I didn't understand what she meant. But she was like, if we can tonight, you're going to have brain surgery tonight. Jeez. We've asked your wife to meet you at the next hospital. So Brittany still couldn't get in. At the, during this whole time, as I was out, Alberta Health Services had old information for me. So my mother in Newfoundland, who is now at like one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in, in, in Newfoundland, 68 year old woman gets woken up by a phone call from a hospital saying, we're trying to reach your daughter-in-law uh, because your son's going through this. So then my mother calls my wife, Brittany. Uh, Brittany calls some neighbors and says like, we don't have family here in Calgary. I can't take my two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old son to the emergency room. You just told me my husband now has to go in for brain surgery tonight. So Brittany calls some neighbors. Her father got on a plane. My parents got on a plane from Newfoundland. Her father was in Penticton. He was there in two hours. She dropped uh, Fisher off, her son off, at uh, Dougie Campbell and Amy Campbell's house, mm-hmm. uh, which is in a nearby neighborhood. She met us at the hospital and they go in and I'm lying on the bed and they tell Brittany what's going on and they try and get me in for surgery. Um, First surgery failed. uh, So because it was a um, MRI guided uh, surgery, they use pins in your skull to keep it in place. One of the pins slipped during the first surgery. They take me out. I regain consciousness, come out of the uh, anesthetic. Um, Brittany's in the room with me and they say, Mr. Power, it was an unsuccessful surgery. I'm like, yeah, all right, so uh, what does that mean? <laughs> and they say, um, we got to get you back in under the knife again as soon as possible. Um, we have, uh, they, they had cracked open my skull. They had gone in. They were in there touching the things that they were trying to remove. Uh, but a pin slipped on this machine. 
So then uh, they push it 24 hours. They give me a little bit to get some fluids back in me and try and hydrate me and stuff. Um, when they transported me, I was on three different um, narcotics to try and ease pain or get me to sleep. So first pain relief was just trying to settle me. And then they were like, we got to knock them out. So they were like, okay, what anesthetics can we give you now? What can we give you for the pain and stuff? So I was a, a little lucid for, for the most part. Then the second surgery happened. Um, it was a success. Uh, and I use air quotes because later on in the journey, we found out different meaning on, on what success meant and that we probably had two different medical professionals that were helping us at that point that had two different um, scales of what success was. So the second surgery happened, they removed uh, some stuff out of there, um, the highlighted stuff that they could see on the MRI. Yep. I came out of surgery, um, couldn't walk, uh, couldn't, I could talk for the most part, um, but had trouble with long sentences, had trouble with, if a thought interrupted me, all was lost. We're here with Jason Power, who was diagnosed with a terminal form of brain cancer in 2020. He's sharing his experience of finding out about the tumor and the treatment he received. When we come back, he'll explain how he decided to face his diagnosis by choosing to have a positive attitude, even under the most challenging of situations. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're here with my close friend, Jason Power, as he shares his story of hope and positivity in the face of terminal brain cancer. In this segment, he shares the insights he gained while recovering from emergency brain surgery in a lockdown hospital during the height of the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, think of yourself on an old instant messenger app like ICQ kind of thing. If someone messages you before you respond, the first message is gone kind of thing. So. Yeah. As they're telling me stuff, I'm trying to mentally make a note of it, uh, but I'm not retaining a lot of information. And then finally, the surgeon comes in because the oncologist had come and said, describe what glioblastoma was. I didn't catch it. Surgeon comes in and says, hey, surgery went pretty good, Mr. Power. Uh, I got everything that I went in there to get. So fast forward a, a little bit, what we were told was large tumor. Yeah. Um, anywhere from six to 10 centimeters. <laughs> like, very nobody, nobody had a headache. Yeah. yeah um, probably in my head, anywhere from five to 10 years or longer. But because it's glioblastoma, it means that it started out as something else. Mm. So it may have been a different form of cancer. It may have been a, a benign cyst. It might have been a tumor. It might have been. Um, all kinds of things could have been a blood clot that, tur that turned into scar tissue that turned into a mass that created some extra, you know, uh, friendly cells that just turned into glioblastoma. Yeah. But that's when I found it out in his bedside manner. It turns out this surgeon is like, uh, like a lot of brilliant people. Uh, his bedside manner was maybe not great. <laughs> and he said, he was like, you got, uh, you know, like tragically hip, the thing that killed the guy from tragically hip, you got that. <laughs> So I was like, Gord Downey. I was actually happy that I could make the connection and go like, Gord Downey's his name. 
Uh, and Brittany's sitting there and she's kind of nodding and ever supportive. And, 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 you know, my nickname for Brittany has always been Optimus Prime uh, yeah. because she's, she's the most optimistic individual you'd ever meet uh, in your life. So Brittany's sitting there and she's nodding and she's absorbing it and stuff. And, and he said, the surgeon said, and the mean survival, you know, prognosis on that is about 14 months, Jason. So that hit home. Um, but... Uh, as I, I believe I've told you, Mike, you know, as a close friend, that the, the first thing I said to myself when I was in the hospital on my own, because don't forget, during COVID, you don't have visitors the entire day. You get a couple of hours where they allow even the closest people to come in. Whether you're going through brain surgery or you're dying from COVID, they can't let people in because it's that severe for everybody else. So, you know, I, I, I sat there and I... I um, absorbed the message. And that night when I was on my own and after myself and Brittany had had, we shed a couple of tears, but for the most part, we were kind of, we were in battle mode. We were like, okay, this is the new challenge. Mm -hmm. You tell me what tools I have available and I will lie, cheat, steal, whatever I have to, to get one more day, one more week, one more month, one more year with my wife and son. I don't care. Tell me what you got to throw at me. This is what I'm going to take to it. That night, lying in hospital bed after Brittany had to leave. No, I've got another, um, uh, what's it called? BMI, I think it is, uh, or BTI, uh, a traumatic uh, brain injury, uh, right. PBI. Um, See, so yeah, I still have <laughs> trouble processing stuff at times. So massive brain trauma patient next to me in the bed. And she's in pain all night long and she's had like six surgeries and stuff. And her parents are, have flown over from Vancouver to get in this hospital. And now they're getting locked down. And we got nurses that were like, we'll get you out in hazmat. We'll let you in to see your daughter. And that's who's in the room with me. So two of them are going through an awful lot and I'm lying in bed and I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm aware of my situation. I'm aware of my emotions. Um, I'll research and I'll find out what this is. If it's 14 months, it's going to be 14 good months. It's not going to be 14 months of, you know, I don't know, whittling away to nothing. It's not going to be 14 months of hiding from it. It's not going to be 14 months of living in a bubble. I'll, I'll find a way. So that night I was reminded of a, a, a business a training video that I'd seen 20 years before and it was about the guys who work in the Pikes Place fish market in Seattle. And, you know, one of the guys says to the video or on the video, he says, um, you know what? I got to wake up at two or three in the morning to get to work. And he goes, and sometimes I don't go to bed until shortly before that. He goes, but the one thing my boss asks me is to choose my attitude when I get there. Uh, he said, so I can choose to have a shady day. I can choose to be upset by the fact that I got a lack of sleep and I'm a little hungover. Or I can choose to make the best day I can. And at least when I go home, I'll be exhausted from trying to be my best. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. So I reached over and I grabbed a Sharpie that was tied to a clipboard in the hospital room or a dry erase marker. And because I, I still didn't even know if I was left or right handed at that point, actually with my left hand wrote on my right arm, the word choose with a marker to remind myself that the one thing that always has been and always will be within my control is the attitude that I take to both opportunities and challenges in my life. 
So it's like, I choose to be happy. I choose to be positive. I choose to face this with eyes wide open. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to be okay. And so Brittany came back in and Brittany had almost the exact same thought overnight. And, uh, so in the morning we, uh, we started our fight. And that's what we're going to talk about today is that attitude and that approach that you've taken and how that served you during one of the hardest years anybody had in 2020. There's something to be said about choosing a positive attitude like Jason has, and there's medical proof to support it. John Hopkins University did a study on people with a family history of heart disease, but also had a positive outlook. They found that they were one third less likely to have a heart attack or other cardiovascular event within five to 25 years than those with a more negative outlook. The author of this research was Lisa Yannick. They assessed the terms positive and negative using surveys that determined a person's cheerfulness, energy levels, anxiety levels, and satisfaction with health and overall life. What they found was that most people didn't even need a survey they knew if they were in a positive or negative headspace. You know, our personalities are who we are, so we don't want to change them, but it can be helpful to have a more positive outlook. The authors of this research found that doing the following things can help. First, start by simply smiling more. A University of Kansas study found that smiling, even fake smiling, reduces heart rate and blood pressure during stressful situations. Luckily, we live in a place in Newfoundland and Labrador where we have the best sense of humor in the world, and there's likely someone in our life who can cheer us up with a laugh. If not, start a thread with some friends for a joke of the day or share a funny meme. It's one positive use of technology and cell phones. Practice reframing situations. Instead of stressing about the traffic jam, for instance, appreciate the fact that you can afford a car and get to spend a few extra minutes listening to music or the news. Accepting that there's absolutely nothing you can do about the traffic is helpful. And lastly, try and build resiliency. Resiliency is the ability to adapt to stressful or negative situations and losses. Experts recommend these ways to build up yours. You can maintain good relationships with family and friends, accept that change is part of life, and take action on problems rather than just hoping they'll disappear or waiting for them to resolve themselves. When we come back, we'll continue talking with Jason as he explains the importance that health literacy has played in his recovery from his surgery and his ongoing treatments for cancer. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Jason Power, who in 2020 was diagnosed with a terminal brain cancer called glioblastoma. As he explains, many of us have heard of this as this is the same cancer that impacted tragically hip lead singer Gord Downey. Throughout his battle, Jason has kept a positive outlook. And in the second half of the show, he shares what he's learned through self-reflection and support from his family and friends. Sometimes people get given really bad news on a variety of different things. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and you know, and that stays with them and that sort of limits everything from that point on to them. What would you, you know, give advice from your perspective? And I know it's all your perspective, but there might be something people can learn from what you've gone through. It's sort of like, you know, you get given it, you get dealt a hand and it's not the best hand. It's really, really crummy hand. Um, but you know, what, what would be some things that you've been able to really embrace that allowed you to take this and, and choose to be positive? You could write choose in your arm, but to do it is another whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
Yeah, and you hit on something important, Mike, and I'll 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 try and keep a a, yeah. a kid's this line of thought on this. Um, uh, writing chews on my arm started as the uh, of um, a an aid um, or a tool to remind me to choose my attitude because at the time my brain wasn't functioning enough to to be, to have awareness all day long. And there's a lot, there's a, a, a lot of suffering on the, uh, in the world. And I never want to say anything that diminishes what other people are, are going through. So my perspective is there's people worse off than me. Mm. Um, others perspective may be, um, uh, they, they may want more, they might need more fulfillment in their life. This, the scale gets tipped when you get bad news. The scale goes out the window. It's really, really tough to hang on to the same focus, the same drive, the same things that made you successful in your life before you get heavy, heavy news. If you don't have the tools beforehand, it's going to be harder for you to dig yourself out of that hole. If you've got the right tools, good luck to you focus, you know, reach out when you're out of it kind of thing, when you got the right tools, but we're also a cocky, you know, race because <laughs> we think that we can solve all problems that are there. So we don't, we don't worry about these things. I never, ever, ever worried about my health. I never, I told you this before, never missed a day of school and not because mom and dad kicked me out the door. It's because I was never sick. I like, I try and fake sick and be like, Oh, I got a headache. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not where you get a headache. <laughs> so when I got when I got the bad news, and and it was communicated to me that like and I, and I told you, my my neuro uh, surgeon kind of broke the news. He said you got that thing that killed Gord Downey. I know. <laughs> so in the in the communication of telling me my illness, I got a guy telling me like, yeah, it's uh, yes. That thing that killed Gord Downey is probably going to kill you, <laughs> right? Yeah, thanks, so, man. That's what I always wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, so, so to, to come back to it, it's it's how you get that information. So he was actually trying, in in my humble opinion, this was a very very intelligent man trying to get to the part of my story that he influenced. So he was like, "Hey, you got the thing that killed Gord Downey." Mm -hmm. pause absorb luckily i was able to get the most aggressive parts of the tumor out of your brains you don't end up like gord downey mm -hmm. part two of the story getting bad news i hear i'm dying yeah <laughs> right that, that's what you hear you you kind of when people say you hear what you want to hear no i think it's you, you hear what you're trained to hear you know you can be uniquely optimistic or, or or you can be uh you know lifelong pessimist you know about things i think you you train yourself on how to receive information um so for me i've, I've been a mixture of optimist and pessimist in my life there's there's things that i i doubt you know, of, of certain people. I, I don't, I don't trust everybody in my life, you know, blindly. Um, I do have doubts, you know, about people's motivations at times and stuff. Um, but getting heavy news, your ability to absorb and move on is important. So for me in hospital, 
on a quiet ward with nothing but people of brain injuries and brain diseases around me, um, I was I was given a gift of a very quiet time to say, here's the heaviest information you've ever received in your life. Give your wife a hug and a kiss. Uh, we have to clear the hospital for safety of visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back and get blood work three times throughout the night to wake you up. Um, and we'll see you in the morning. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what do I do with this time that I have here now? And so I was actually given an opportunity to absorb at a slower pace than most people. Well, I think he says, you, you know, you said sometimes you interpret things different ways, but I think you interpreted it the only way you can. You found the information, but it's how you responded to it, which I think is the really unique thing about how you dealt with that situation. You know, you got given information, you looked at it factually, you didn't try and sugarcoat it and gloss it over and be optimistic and say, oh, you know what, there's a 10% chance or a 20% chance or a 30% chance, whatever it is, I'm going to be there. You were like, okay, I got to be able to fix this. But here's one of the things I think is really interesting is that, you know, you were the first person to work out in my gym when I opened it up those 20 years ago. I remember we used to work out together. That's how we met each other. You were the first person I worked out with when I moved to Newfoundland. And, uh, and you were always into it. Your father is a legend on the pond uh, for rowing. He cocks my team a little bit, made us actually came six, not bad. But you, know, you had a health literacy, right? So yeah. facing this daunting thing, you already understood a lot about the body. You understood a lot about health because you've always been active your entire life. On the wellness side of things, because I know that's the stream through all of it, how did your health literacy help you feel ready to take this challenge? Um, that is, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a great question and a great lesson. Um, it, it's also uh, um, it, it, the the response to that question is also a, a confidence builder um, and a security blanket um, and a brain trainer and stuff. Uh, so my health literacy, um, as you mentioned, you know, Dad um, was involved in sports my entire life, and so because of that, I saw a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm. So I saw a lot of athletes that you know. Um, for my dad's rowing crew, you know, in the eighties when, you know, he brought a, a, a decades long record back to outer cove and it was a pride thing for him. Dad's motivation was different than the other people in the boat, but I saw these athletes train so hard for one day, give so much of their life to one day. Um, the reward was worth it for them. So for me, it was this curious head scratching thing when I'd see some of those same men from that rowing crew running, training in my dad's basement after regatta day. And I realized that for them, it wasn't just about competing in, in rowing. Um, it was about, they felt their best when they were fit mm. and they were strong and they were looking after what they needed to look after. And for some people, it's mobility. For some people, it's range of motion. For some people, it's strength. Um, but there is a marriage between mental health and physical health, without a doubt, without a doubt. So that my, my um, and, and to add on top of that, my mother was a 
a medical receptionist, then a medical administrator, then uh, worked at Workers' Compensation Commission uh, in the medical department and ran the medical department for a brief period of time. So my mother also had a very strong medical terminology. Mm-hmm. So when you heard about different people's injuries or illnesses and stuff, I actually had a base of knowledge on that as well. And I can tell you that those two things um, allowed me to understand a lot early. Mm-hmm. So when I came, when I got up out of my, uh, out of my, the bed that I was, you know, had been in for days in the hospital and the occupational therapist and physiotherapist um, are walking me down the hallway and I'm kind of veering off, you know, to, to one side because I lost some vision in the eye. Um, I was also like, I couldn't believe that my legs were so weak in a couple of days. Mm. And they said, well, Jason, you've been on, you know, a cocktail of steroids, you know, and uh, narcotics for a couple of days. And they mentioned muscle atrophy. And because they mentioned muscle atrophy, I knew um, trying to build muscle could be damaging to me and could cause some injury. But maintaining some muscle and retaining some range of motion and some blood flow throughout my body would help me deal and slow down the atrophy that was coming. So that like when someone says you're losing muscle mass, they go like, okay, I'm losing weight. Mm, yeah, no, it's it's very specific loss that you're experiencing kind of thing. So it, it does help to be aware of, have, have some um, education, you know, uh, on, uh, on the body and how it goes. Uh, but it's also important because I find, um, I, I, over the years, long distance running endurance sports taught me the most about mind and body. It was, you know, another two kilometers for a runner is like, Oh my God, another two kilometers and I'm done. That's fantastic. (laughs) You know, like, you know, they can kind of compartmentalize. Um, that's on a half marathon, another two kilometers on a 5k road race. And they go like, Oh my God, I'm 60% of the way there. I got 40% left to go. You're doing this math, you know, all the time. And again, it just goes back to that giving yourself the gift of perspective on things of, you know, how far into a battle you are, how far, you know, left you have to go, um, you know, helps my perspective on my body. I knew that if they gave me a physio program, I was going to be able to do it because you know what? Mike Wall showed me 15 years ago how to take a 50 pound medicine ball and, you know, double axe handle it over my head or, you know, or showed me that, you know, working on my core actually made me stronger on a bench press or whatever. So there was things that I had, you know, some basic understanding of going like, okay, that's something that I can, okay, I'm not going to worry about that. I think I can handle that. Well, I know. Yeah. And I think that I think that's another thing too is that sometimes it may be easier to accept some things that happen to your health when you have had good health and you have taken care of yourself, and then you're like, okay, I didn't bring this necessarily on because of my poor lifestyle. However, I do have part of my recovery or part of my treatment is going to be that I have to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm I'm on point and I'm doing everything I possibly can. And you can take medication, you can meditate, and do everything else, but that wellness side of things, whether it be mental or physical having that in your arsenal is something you don't have to learn at a very critical time when you might not have the energy to learn. Well, and you know what, and pain tolerance is, is a dangerous label. Mm -hmm. 
there, there's a lot of people that handle pain very differently. There's different pain tolerances in our systems. Someone who's dealt with chronic pain for a lot of things might not pay attention to the signs that they're going through something serious, like a cancer. Mm. You know, they might sit there and go like, oh, I've always had bad knees. Mm. You, know, you know what, you might actually be misaligned. Maybe you need an insole in one shoe and that can correct your alignment. Maybe that's why you don't sleep. Maybe that's why Tylenol doesn't work for you anymore because you've been taking it daily for you know, so long. There's a, a lot of things that when people have, 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 have experienced pain their entire lives, you have a tolerance. Again, it's a perspective. It's, you know, a, a cut finger is different for them. Um, I, I had one of the smartest kids I grew up with, genius, genius, went to Gonzaga with me in, in high school. And he told me about migraines when I was in grade nine. And I was like, oh my God, man, like I, I've never had a headache before in my life. I don't even know what it is. And he said, just think of it like there's so much pain in your head that you can't you can't focus on the fact that there's a world around it. You're mm -hmm. totally absorbed. That's how bad that pain is. And I was like, wow. And, you know, like I can remember him, a big tennis player, and I can remember him like, you know, breaking a finger, you know, on the tennis court or something like that and just, you know, kind of feeling like he could snap it back into place. You know, and another friend of mine said, you know, guys 10 times his size break his nose and he'd yeah. smile at him and stuff. His pain tolerance was different. People like that we think are extreme athletes and stuff, but like that might also be tough on them because they might ignore some little things that are going on in their body. So the, when, you, when you mentioned the, the awareness, and the health education and stuff that's there, because I didn't lead a life of, of pain or discomfort and because I was relatively fit my, my entire life and was always physically active. Yeah. Um, and so lucky to get through life with no broken bones, no illnesses or anything. So now when I go to my doctor and I say, hey, I'm feeling this, uh, I can be very, very prescriptive of that because I know my body so well. So I know if it's a new pain or an old pain, I know where it's radiating from or concentrating, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but that uh, that is is uh, trumped easily by my wife, my wife, who's a nurse. So mm -hmm. if someone gets bad health news, if you like research can be dangerous for an individual looking up your own diagnosis. Yeah. And it can be, I think it can be very damaging to what your plan going forward and your steps and your energy are. So find an advocate, find a, find a support person, tell someone the questions that you have and allow them to get answers for you. Don't, don't feel like the ownership you need to put in is owning the flow of information. Think of it as I need to make sure I get the right information myself. So having that that focus uh, I, again um, just allows you to filter out a lot of the, the wrong stuff and and allow others to help. Right? We'll be right back to finish our chat with my good friend Jason Power as he explains how he's taken a positive outlook to a challenging medical battle and what we can do to shift our perspectives in our everyday lives. Welcome back. Let's finish our chat with Jason Power as he reflects on what he learned in 2020 about choosing to stay positive and shares his advice for all of us going into 2021. You know, we're going into New Year's. People, you know, we're, we're ending a, a tough year for a lot of people and people are looking at what New Year's resolutions are. And I think that your health literacy wasn't 
wasn't most beneficial for you to run a half marathon at your record pace. It's to fight the biggest fight you've put on. And, you know, and that's why people need to be healthy is so that they've got that in their back pocket in case they ever need to. If you were to tell people, you know, you're going to wake up, it's 2021. Things may not be perfect, but what should people be really grateful for going into a new year? 2021, January 1st and December 31st are not a full second apart. (laughs) If you think your problems go away or you get a clean slate in 2021, it's not going to be a new year. It is a new day. It is a new month. It is a new year on a calendar. My illness doesn't know the date. (laughs) <laughs> my brain doesn't know if you know uh if tomorrow i'm going to get enough sleep but i can focus on on today the 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 lesson from 2020 is that things can get hard <laughs> and they can get hard for everybody at the same time usually it's a bunch of people going through ebbs and flows on different rhythms you know we're on different waves 2020 allowed us all for probably just a moment of the entire year. There was probably uh, that, that (laughs) Venn diagram. Um, No, this is that Venn diagram. um, My, my diagnosis and my bad news and my 2020 are, are overlapping into 2021. It doesn't end. So I think the, I think give yourself for 2021, give yourself the gift of, the strength you found in 2020 and say, Hey, if we now have more knowledge of where we're at, if we now have more hope because of the vaccine, if we now have more friends who are in the same situation as us, if we just got through the holidays alone, you are stronger and stronger and stronger than you're giving yourself credit for. So don't put a label on 2021 as your chance take December 29th. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Take the day. And so I go 2021 will be a fantastic year for me. Mm-hmm. It will. Mm-hmm. Like I was given 14 months. The first time I was given my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That leads me to June. Yeah. yeah. I'll be talking to you in July. You're damn right. You're right. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, and I think that's the point is that, you know what, we learned a lot of struggle. People learned a lot about themselves last year. They learned what they're capable of. They learned what areas of their life need improvement, whether it be they realize, hey, work isn't everything or I'm not close enough with my friends. I felt a bit lonely. I need to work on those relationships or my health was down or I I really get lost in my head when I'm left by myself because I've got a lot of thoughts swirling in there that I've never given attention to and I was forced to give attention to it. So I need to work on that. And that's really what I think. 2020 taught people we've got a bit of a brighter horizon coming for all of us um and and i think that applying that might be the solution for a lot of people if you can keep a positive attitude and keep on choosing to be uh, in a a great place and learning more and appreciating every second i think all of us can yeah i i had this observation when i was meditating in the first couple of months of my diagnosis and and I meditation for me, like I would sweat because it was that hard. I'd remind myself, I would go off on a tangent in seconds. So holding that focus was, was really, really tough. And, you know, one of the things that I realized when I said it to myself was 
one of the most efficient words in the human language is probably help. If you scream help in any situation, people are going to know that you need something. It could be a blanket because you're cold. It could be a blanket because there's a fire. It could be a blanket because you need a rope to pull you up or let you down or whatever. But help is very, very, very efficient. Don't be stubborn and too strong as to think you don't need help. And if you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't need help on anything, then there's another four letter word you should use and that's love. So if you don't need help, give love, love your way out of stuff. It is the, it is the most beautiful way of solving problems for you and someone else. It's the most gratifying way of moving on. It's the most gratifying way of gaining closure you know, is, is to, to use love. So maybe, maybe the lesson is we all needed some help in 2020 and a lot of us gave it and a lot of us received it and a lot of us shared it and a lot of us expected it of a government. Maybe you got it. Maybe you didn't. Um, but do me a favor. If you find yourself no longer needing help, give love. Don't, don't necessarily think you got to give help back and you got to one up it or you got to, you know, repay the favor of the karma or whatever. Um, you can receive one thing and give another. And I think I received so much love in 2020 with texts. I've got a friend in Ireland who sends me a joke a day. I can count because he's got a great sense of humor. I can count on having a laugh every day. Mm-hmm. I can count on having a laugh every day. I can count on four family members telling me every day that they love me and asking me if I'm okay. Mm -hmm. It gives me an outlet to share what's going on in my life, but it also allows me to be this big giant net to catch that love that's coming back at me as well. Right. So Mm -hmm. if if you need a, a closing remark or a closing statement, yeah. it is allow yourself to receive that help. Um, and and if you are so fortunate as you think you don't need any more, um, give love. Awesome. Well, that's that's why I wanted to have a chat with you. It's so good to see you. I love you, buddy. I love you, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, and uh, thanks for sharing your story, buddy. I want to thank Jason for sharing his story today. His ability to face his challenge with grace, courage, and a positive attitude has been truly infectious in me while we've been recording this episode. The statement that's rung truest to me was when he said that he may not have the longest life, but he'll most certainly have a full one. For all of us facing a new year and looking forward to a better 2021, I'll share a quote that resonates with me about how we can break free of the past whether it be a crummy 2020 or poor health habits that have limited our ability to enjoy our life. Alan Watts once said, we think that the world is limited and explained by its past. We tend to think what happened in the past determines what is gonna happen next. And what we don't see is that is exactly the other way around. What is always the source of the world is the present. The past doesn't explain a thing. The past trails behind the present like the wake of a ship and eventually disappears. Good luck in whatever you hope to achieve this year. Remember to put health near or at the top of your list. Thanks for joining me. 
I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.